a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm MutinyRadio.fm Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to MutinyRadio.fm, hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable and every...
And good morning to you. I hope it's a good one. This is the B, and you're tuned into Mutiny Radio. And the hour is 10.15 after the playing of our first set there. The name of the show is Labor and Love Radio. Labor and Love Radio, what we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. <coughs> you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean work. Good morning, everybody. This is the B. Spending the morning shift with you. We started out there with uh, American Idiot. Don't be an American Idiot. Okay, don't vote for someone who's just for show. I know Mr. Biden isn't the uh, perfect candidate for most people, myself included. But he has some people behind him who are worthy and whose programs and ideas make some sense. Okay, we started out, yeah, that's American Idiot. And then the second one was Aaliyah. And Aaliyah, what did we play by her? Throw your hands up. Okay, throw your hands up. It's an anti-drug song, you can tell. And we ended up that set with Allen Ginsberg and his Capital Air. I don't know if that's the one where he's accompanied by The Clash or not. One version of that song, The Clash, plays background to Allen Ginsberg. Well, what do we got today? We've got an election coming up, huh? got an election coming up with Biden is talking about the soul of America and it it's hard to debate with that and there are two main groups in this country Mr. Trump has created under Obama we weren't there were lots of splinter groups but there was no huge movement white supremacy it's come into the mainstream now that's Mr. Mr. Trump's doing Mr. Trump considers himself president of only the people who vote for him instead of all the people Mr. Trump is there to serve business Period. Well, let's see. What do we got for you today? We've got... Uh, earlier today, we've got Gangsta Grass, a, a band from Baltimore that does hip-hop along with bluegrass. 
We've got radio labor. We've got labor notes. We've got the radiation girls. Who are they? The radium girls. Um, and so much more. <laughs> IWW's organizer training program. That ought to be interesting. Okay, let's get going. And we'll start today with Radio Labor, our World Labor Report. Could come up any second, anyway, at any at any point. <laughs> labor Notes has an article. Labor Notes is uh, talking about the movement for black lives and labor's revival. It can't work. Labor cannot revive without African-American people, without black people. Black Lives Matter project. They can't succeed unless they see themselves as the same people. How many people in Black Lives Matter are workers? Probably all of them, huh? Most of them. And how many, how many labor union people are involved in Black Lives Matter. They're all working people. That's the point. The police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis ignited the most widespread series of protests in U.S. history. Working people, not only black, but people of all races, were the driving force. Even labor leaders who are usually Reluctant to weigh in on hot social issues, spoke out. The challenge now is to bring the militancy and energy of the year's revived black struggle into the workplace. Yes. Where does the whip come down in society? In the workplace. We have to be there to support ourselves. And so we're easy to exploit. A deep look at U.S. labor history shows that labor can make big steps forward when black workers are in motion in their communities and when they're in positions of leadership. In our past, a mobilized black community has brought the energy and self-confidence of powerful collective action in the streets into workplace organizing. 
but also brought a grassroots orientation that challenges top-down conservatism. What makes the Black Lives Matter protests so important isn't just their race. It's the fact that demonstrators are linking the struggle against racist police violence to the whole racist system. It's the fact that August highlighted the connection between racism, society, and the workplace. What happened in August? The NBA basketball players walked off the job. Okay, labor notes. Keep that in mind. We tend to think of those two things as separate. But in their very substance, they're united. Black Lives Matter people are workers. Workers who make the movement happen. They don't stop being workers because they get into Black Lives Matter. Okay. Let's see what else they got here. Here's an interesting one about an election in New Zealand where the labor movement <coughs> of New Zealand made big gains in the government. No excuses. That's the phrase union activists in New Zealand have been repeating since the Labor Party's landslide victory in the national election on October 17th. Led by charismatic and media-savvy Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Labor took over 49% of the popular vote. The party will now have 64 of the 120 seats in Parliament. This is unheard of in New Zealand, where since 1996 we've had a mixed-member proportional voting system that has always led to multi-party coalition governments. The result will likely realign New Zealand politics for a generation. The National Party, our major conservative party, has often been referred to as the natural party of government, reflecting the born-to-rule mentality of the New Zealand right wing. This momentous defeat which saw them lose in former strongholds could change that perception. It is a decisive result compared to the 2017 election when Labour narrowly defeated the National Party by forming a coalition government with a Green Party, whose policies sit well to the left of Labour and the populist anti-immigrant party New Zealand First. This time around, New Zealand first failed to be returned to Parliament 
getting only 2.7%. So it sounds like the Labour Party picked up those seats. New Zealand even had its own AOC moment as 26-year-old Green candidate Chloe Swarbrick upset Labour's Helen White in the Auckland Central seat. Auckland is the biggest and most culturally diverse city in the country, with 39% of its population born overseas. Swarbrick trailed defied poll predictions, which led the moderate white easily winning the seat on the back of increased youth turnout. This was one of the many results that demonstrates a real appetite among the public for progressive change. That's on Labor Notes. Check it out. All right. Find some music. Chopper's coming up over I'd sleep on a campfire on the hill Shelter line stretching round the corner Welcome to the new marijuana And sleeping in the car in the southeast No home, no job, no peace, no Highway is alive tonight. Nobody's kidding nobody about where they go. Sitting down here in the campfire, searching for a ghost to find you. Get a prayer book out of this sleeping bag. Reach your lights up, a butt and takes a Last of the first and the first shall be last. In a cardboard box sneaking under the bag. Got a one-way ticket to the promised land. I got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand. Sleeping on a pillow of solid ground. Bathing in the city.
against the blood and hatred in the air. Look for me, mama, beware. There's somebody fighting for a place to stand. A decent job or a helping hand. Or somebody struggling to be free. Look in my eyes, mama, you'll see me. What's going on, Newsbroke YouTube page? It's me, Francesca, the host of Newsbroke on YouTube, which is now over at AJ Plus. New episodes Close your every mind. single week. Make sure you're subscribed to AJ Plus. See what you're huh? That's where all the new videos are How do you forget? The ink of a scholar is worth a thousand times more than the blood of a martyr. Terrorist. Came through the storm, nooses on our necks, and a smallpox blanket to keep us warm. On the 747 on the Pentagon lawn, wake up, the alarm clock is connected to a bomb. Anthrax lab on the West Virginia farm, sure they ain't learned to walk, already heavily armed. Civilians and little children is especially harm. Camouflage Taurus, Bibles and glorious Korans, the books that take you to heaven and let you meet the Lord there have become misinterpreted reasons for warfare. We read them with blind eyes, I guess. Guarantee you there's more there. Rich must be blind, cause they ain't see the poor there. Yeah, you need to open up the park. Just close 10 schools. We don't need them. Can you please call the fire department? They down here marching for freedom. Burn down they TVs, turn they TVs on to teach them and move. Man, see that we all brothers, not cause things the same because he like the same color, and that's grain. Now that's main. He can't burn his cross, cause he can't afford the gasoline. Now, with a Muslim woman strapped with a bomb on the bus, with the seconds running, give you the jitters. Just imagine an American based Christian organization planning to poison water supplies to bring the second coming quicker. Nigga, if they ain't living properly, break them off with a little democracy and turn their whole culture to a mock. Give them fun. If they ain't giving it up, then they ain't getting none. And don't give them all, no, man. Just 
Crips must be Al Qaeda, nigga. Oh. As we approach this election, there's tens of thousands of organized activities going on across America to encourage people to get out and exercise their right to vote in what is probably one of the most important elections for this century and probably since the it's last... It's a real news network talking about the in election. In my opinion, America's at a crossroads. And it could go to an authoritarian, idiotic kind of place, or it can go to a place where people still have the options to make some changes. Among those tens of thousands of groups, there's a musical group here in Baltimore, but scattered kind of like uh, around the country that do hip hop and bluegrass music. And they, um, making an effort to encourage young people to vote. So I have with me today Brian uh, Farrell, 
and he's a uh, part of that group, and he's going to talk about the efforts that they have been making to make some changes in America. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining me. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Uh, Brian, talk a little bit first about your group and uh, the music, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. So the group is Gangster Grass, and we've been around for a while. Um, we've really, we've really done a, a lot of touring across this nation, and just gauging the temperature of the country. And uh, we've got a really broad fan base. So when it came to this election, and when it came to this newest release that we have coming out, we really we thought about a lot about the kind of message we wanted to send to all the people that we've run across in the nation. The latest album is a no time for enemies because we really feel in this, this pivotal time when we're dealing with so much climate change, when we're dealing with uh, international relations that are fraught and relations here at home that are fraught. We wanted to remind everyone that we're we're all together in this and there's no time for no time for enemies just like the album says and when it came to this election we wanted to follow that up with encouraging people to vote and discouraging other people from discouraging the vote um, it's important that every one of our voices is heard and we we in the band really feel that okay so toward that end uh well, exactly what have uh, you and the other band members been doing uh, leading up to this at this point? We've released a, a couple of videos um, encouraging folks to vote. And we also, uh, we do a live stream every Friday where we bring in different experts on, on, on different currents of, of this modern fervor. We had uh, Randall Wyatt, who's with Taking Ownership PDX out in Portland. He actually shows up as one of the MCs on No Time for Enemies. He's forwarding initi an initiative that uh, is just re rebuilding Black homes in Baltimore and making sure that people that are still in the community that haven't been moved out by gentrification are there comfortably. Um, we've talked to experts about voting rights history. We've talked to uh, another guest that was on the album, Branjay, who's out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, about how they're trying to change the system there and elect the right officials in the government that are gonna respect the history of Tulsa and respect the people of Tulsa, no matter what color or creed. Um, they've got a, they're dealing with a lot of uh, immigration policies that are unhealthy uh, there in Tulsa. And we're continuing to have guests. We took a break for the past two weeks on our guests just to talk with the fans and uh, gauge their temperatures, which has been really, really fun, honestly. We, we, we always plan some sort of activity for our, our Friday night get-togethers, and um, it's, it's been fruitful in that way. And also, personally, as a band, we, we all challenge each other to hype up our get out the vote efforts either locally or where we're all from. We've got five band members. Um, I'm based here in Baltimore. Two MCs are based in Philly uh, and a banjo player that's in New Jersey. And the, 
our head of the band and guitarist is in Brooklyn, New York. Um, so we're each hyping up our, our local get out the votes efforts, efforts, volunteering where we can and um, being a part of the movement where we can. Hey, you know, uh, one of the things is that it, there seems to be, and of course I'm, you know, from afar looking at the history, even of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, the Black Wall Street, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the centuries that we have been voting. And of course, I, I, I wonder, this time, is this the only, is, is this the only way out of this uh, voting? You're a young person. Uh, what, what's the motivated you to take this path and what makes you think it's going to be successful? I just have a lot of hope in my heart. And we have to utilize the tools that we have, plain and simple. We can't just lay by the wayside and put our hands up and say that there's nothing to do. There are things to do, even if it's moving the needle forward just a little bit when they've moved it back so much. We have to do it. We are a part of this country. We, it's, it's our duty to try to make this place better. If they, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but if they want to tear this country apart through the people, that's, they're killing themselves. Hey, I got that. I got that. Tell me a little bit, because you, obviously, you've been engaged in other kind of activities and campaigns to change the conditions that you see. Talk a little bit about the Moses Cemetery, the stuff that you were doing there. Uh, the Moses Cemetery, the Moses Cemetery in uh, Bethesda, there, there's been a, a long dispute uh, since 2015 when they were talking about revitalizing that particular part of Bethesda uh, off of River Road about a cemetery that was there, and the cemetery um, was first bought by the River Sisters in the late 19th century. Um, and was watched over by White's Tabernacle, which was uh, a, re a religious group, but more broadly, uh, a group of African Americans that were looking out for each other's welfare and promoting their businesses and health. Uh, and this site is where they chose to bury their dead. Over the co course of a couple of decades, when the white community wanted the land, they started to build around that community that was there and started to build through it. Um, things like building a sewer through, through this neighborhood, they were making it a hard place to live. And eventually um, through these sorts of efforts, they were able to get those black folks off of the land. The only real marker to a visual marker to an African-American legacy there is with the Macedonia Baptist Church that uh, has been there for, I think, over 100 years now. It's right at 100 years, I believe. Um, now, this is, it, it's near and dear to my heart, their struggle to protect the cemetery or to at least recognize this cemetery uh, because I've, I've been watching this tide of gentrification across the nation as I tour uh, across the country with Gangsta Grass, and I've been torn for at least 
eight years, eight years now as a musician. And I've seen it before then too. And it's the way we're building up isn't taking into account the history that's already there. It's not incorporating people's voices. All it seeks to do is build for short-term gain. And I just saw this as a situation where we really need to put our, our feet down and say that we need to do something different. It's also, it, it racks my brain that the Montgomery County Planning Board isn't able to see that when they're hosting Zoom meetings where they're looking at books about um, redlining and segregation when it comes to housing, but they're not seeing how, how toxic their current practices are. So it's near and dear to my heart. I'm, I'm not only just watching the Moses Cemetery case and um, working with Marsha Adebayo Coleman and Pastor Adebayo um, and promoting the effort, getting the news out about what's happening on that site. But I'm also looking at uh, this as a national issue because there's a lot of burial sites in the South and all over the United States, African-American and Indian that continue to be disregarded and um, in lieu of economic progress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and if you forget your history and your ancestors, then you will be lost going into the future. There's no question about that. Tell me something, Brian. Since you, you're doing this, I'm going to give you the opportunity to share whatever it is you would like with the public. Uh, as the final word for this program. So do you have anything to share or encouragement yeah. or whatever? Um, luckily, there was a, a, um, a really great videographer that uh, a lot of great videographers um, at the protests and uh, a friend of mine, Tommy DeVita, was able to stitch together a lot of what was going on with the, the protests for the cemetery and uh, here. Let's, let's go ahead and play a little bit of that for everybody. They came and they forced Brother Harvey out of the house with all of his family, and they took over the land. The same thing is true of the Ward family. They basically inflated the price of the land here so they couldn't afford to pay taxes. Then they stole the land by making the taxes so extremely high that he couldn't afford. That's how Montgomery County comes in possession of this land. This is stolen black land. This is stolen black land. And so we say that this land must be given back to the black community. The land does not belong to, to the self-growth company. It belongs to Macedonia Baptist Church. It belongs to the, to the community here, to the black community here. That's our position. We're not moving. We're not moving. We've lost too much money. We've lost too many lives. Too many people have died. Too many people have sacrificed their lives, their families. We have to watch these pol politicians closely, and it is a it's a new part to put into your life if you haven't already, uh, because these politicians simply see the protests and they wait for the protests to die down, and they do whatever they're going to do. This is a eleven million dollar contract in Bethesda when it comes to the 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 raising of the cemetery when it comes to not looking at this site and 
uh, an ecological way, not looking at this site in a way that incorporates the voices of the people that are around it and want to see better for the land and better for the bodies buried in the land and better for the history of the place. We have to watch these politicians and how they ignore that and vote them out. Our votes matter. When you see people like the county executive, Mark Elrich, putting up his hands and not doing anything about it, we have to vote him out and vote somebody who will listen. When you see the, the black members of the Montgomery County Board not raising their voices to this issue, we have to vote them out. It's so important that we vote in our local elections because our local elections are what's gonna change the tide in the long run. Okay, thank you for joining me. Um, and good luck with your campaign. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here with you. Okay, and thank you for joining this episode of Rattling the Bars. Okay, that was from the Real News Network, an interview with one of the members of a band called Gangsta Grass that plays uh, hip hop along with bluegrass. All right, now let's see. Radio Labor, is Radio Labor ready? About time for Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 30th, 2020. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, labor fights to eliminate nuclear arms. How COVID is affecting African teachers and students. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. It's our union, our union. Defends our rights, but our union's as strong as our will is to fight. This is Radio Labor. The first legally binding agreement to prohibit nuclear arms and work towards their elimination will come into force now that 50 nations have ratified it. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons will be implemented in January 2021, but many more countries need to ratify the treaty. Countries such as the U.S., Britain, France, China, and Russia are still refusing to sign the agreement. That is why the International Trade Union Confederation has intensified its campaign to get more treaty ratification. The ITUC is the global body which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trade Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. 
Ayuba Waba is the president of the ITUC. He is also the president of the Nigeria Labor Congress. It is a honor to join the rest of the global working class in making this appeal in support of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. First is to say that the production, storage, and usage of nuclear weapons is a chilling demonstration of the auto-destruction that humanity is capable of. It is a negative return on our civilization and question the progress that humanity has made over the years. On behalf of the International Trade Union Confederation, representing unions in 163 countries, I present the resolve of workers all over the world to reject the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Workers also reject the proliferation of armed conflicts all over the world. Workers have suffered enough already from bombs and bullets of political conflicts created by others. This is totally unacceptable as it greatly contradicts democratic values of peaceful negotiation. These values are the cornerstone of multilateral engagements. There are at least 2,000 tons of nuclear materials for weapons stored in some 40 countries, enough to make 40,000 bombs the size of the one that devastated Hiroshima. The analysis of the risk of nuclear winter is simple. The risk is there because the weapons exist. The question is not if they will fall into the wrong hands. The question is when. We all seem to agree that nuclear arms are inhumane and illegitimate source of power. But after decades of solemn political declarations, some governments still fail to deliver. The corporate world pushes its social responsibility aside when profits are to be made with weapons of mass destruction. Corporate interests fuels the arm race and pushes politicians to service greed and private interests rather than the people's safety. Apart from hunting people, investing in nuclear arms goes at the expense of social infrastructure, such as jobs, schools, housing, and healthcare. At the end of its 2018 Congress in Copenhagen, the International Trade Union Confederation decided to renew its commitment to fight for the prohibition of nuclear weapons and the disarmament of existing arsenals. The message from the global trade union movement is loud and clear. We need to ban nuclear arms now. We need to end this arbitration of humanity before it ends us. In 2017, after years of work to raise awareness of their humanitarian impact, 122 countries negotiated and adopted a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. I'm happy to report that Nigeria, my country, was one of the first countries that have signed and adopted this important treaty. Equally, South Africa has also been in the forefront of the struggle to rid the world of nuclear weapons. Countries who fail to do the needful now and ratify this crucial treaty will find themselves at the wrong lane of history. Now is the time to bring democracy to disarmament. We urge states to ratify the Nuclear Ban Treaty as a fulfillment of axis of the Non-Proliferation Treaty and to develop a strong regime for the verifiable and irreversible disarmament of nuclear weapons. We cannot build peace if we do not lower our arms.
Along with the healthcare system, perhaps the sector most adversely affected by the pandemic has been education, with students missing classes and many forced to study online without adequate resources or preparation. To highlight the challenges being faced in the sector, Education International has been conducting a series of webinars about education in various regions. EI is the global union for teachers and other education workers. It represents 33 million union members in 178 countries and territories. Dennis Signolo is EI's chief regional coordinator for Africa. African education systems have not been immune to the impact of the pandemic. COVID-19 has ravaged health systems and impacted schools, tertiary education institutions, economies and societies everywhere. We'll be launching a report on the impact of COVID-19 on education in Africa, conducted for us by Professor Steve Nokiwocha. Without going into the details, the study's findings confirm what we've been saying all along, that technology cannot replace teachers. I repeat, technology cannot replace teachers nor can distance education replace face-to-face -face in school learning. While governments have taken measures to keep learning going during closures, none of these have been effective. Yes, distance education, online platforms, radio and television programs have been tried, but very few children, mostly from rich urban families, have been able to benefit from distance and virtual learning. The digital divide has resulted in greater exclusion, leaving girls and boys, children with disabilities, migrants and refugees, and rural children further behind. The same study reveals that there is lack of genuine consultation and dialogue between governments and unions concerning education during COVID-19. Furthermore, some governments are taking advantage of the current COVID-19 context to trample on democracy human and trade union rights, including academic freedom and professional autonomy. The unions are bulwarks of democracy, defenders and promoters of human rights and social justice. We should continue to say no to violations of fundamental freedoms, our rights and those of our students. Education is a fundamental human right and a public good, and governments have an obligation to guarantee this right. We need to put pressure on governments to uphold education and labor rights Research evidence shows that there is a real risk that many girls will be unable to return to school due to early marriages, pregnancy, child labor, or other factors. Despite the challenges posed by COVID-19, educators and their unions have taken the lead in the fight against the pandemic and its effects on education. They have been responsive, resilient, and proactive, taking initiatives and measures to keep teaching and learning going. Educators and their unions have been raising awareness, developing and sharing tools, and coming up with innovative solutions to keep their students learning. As educators, we need to reimagine the future. Can you imagine a future where teachers are empowered and supported to reimagine or reshape the future of education? A future where they are genuinely consulted and their views taken into account when governments formulate education and teacher policies. Can we imagine a future where teachers are valued, trusted, and respected as professionals and paid a decent salary? A future where every child is taught by a trained, qualified, motivated, and supported teacher and learns in a safe, healthy, and well-resourced environment? 
every African child deserves to be taught by a qualified teacher, deserves a good learning environment. We know that such a future is possible, but it will not come unless we fight for it. We can only succeed if we build united and stronger education unions that are a force to reckon with and the voice of the women and men in our classrooms at all education levels. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggle of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of all their hard work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the general strike in Belarus, the ITUC's Global Day for Care, and another attack by the state on the Jordanian Teachers Union. This week, the emerging trends in our news coverage include the impact of COVID-19 on education workers and food processing workers around the globe. From Malaysia to Brazil, in Iceland, Kenya, and in Australia, education workers are reporting that the reopening of schools is generating huge problems, especially in those countries, which is to say the vast majority, where education systems are not being properly funded for the challenges posed by C-19. Typically, teachers are being required to not only perform their usual duties, but also to deal with the impact on students of what in many cases was social isolation lasting almost eight months, all whilst ensuring student safety in the classroom. School cleaning staff face similar challenges as they feel responsible for school cleanliness as it can seriously affect not just the health of students, but of whole communities. At the same time, a second wave of infections in meat processing plants in the global north has exploded in the past two weeks. In North America and Europe, workers in these facilities are typically migrant workers badly paid and engaged in a daily struggle with their employers over traditional health and safety issues. On our Working Women pages, you'll find stories about how the huge number of unemployed domestic workers are coping in countries as diverse as Qatar, Germany, Argentina, and South Africa, the role of trade unions in the protests against the law outlawing reproductive freedom in Poland, and how Arab women workers in Israel are organizing to face the effects of the pandemic on their employment. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories about the lack of COVID-19 testing for exposed workers in Ireland, where even the workers inspecting workplaces to ensure proper health precautions are not being properly tested, and how in East Watini, the nurses' union has filled the public policy void left by the monarchy and is providing health direction to the entire country. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with imprisoned trade union leaders in Belarus, where the struggle to end the dictatorship escalated to a general strike this past Monday. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Robin Roberts with It's Our Union. Our union story is here to be seen. We've won many victories and suffered defeats. But 
As I turn through the pages and look back through time, there's one single question stands out in my mind. Today we may prosper, today we live free, but if it weren't for the union, where would we be? It's our union, our union that defends our rights, but our union's as strong as our will is to fight, for the union is you and the union is me. So stand up and stand by our union. From its humble beginnings, our union has grown. So no working person needs struggle alone. But no gain that's been made has been made without cost. And together we'll see that no gain's ever lost. Take a look at those countries where workers aren't free. If it weren't for the unions, where would we be? It's our unions, our union that defends our rights. But our unions as strong as our will is to fight. For the union is you and the union is me. So stand up and stand by our union. And that's it in for now.
Banking off of the northeast wind, sailing on a summer breeze, skipping over the ocean like a stone. Banking off of the northeast wind, sailing on a summer breeze, skipping over the ocean like a stone. Everybody's talking at me, can't hear words they're saying. keep falling in love with my mother. I don't want to hurt her. Of all people to hurt. Every time I see her, she's grown older. But her uniform always amazes me for its Dutch simplicity and the doll she is. The doll-like way she stands, bow-legged in my dreams, waiting to serve me. And I am only an Apache smoking hashish in old kibashi by the lamp.
And that was the aforementioned uh, Gangsta Grass, a unique combination there. Something that people wouldn't expect that uh, a, a hot, really hot bluegrass band, all of a sudden a rapper stands up and starts rapping to the bluegrass beat. That was uh, All For One. Let's go play some Woody Guthrie. Uh -huh. Let's see. This land was made for you and me. This land was made for you and me. Had to get the coda there. That was uh they were featuring this land was made for you and me. Now uh, a rather sobering story. This is the story of the uh, radium girls. And I played it before on this on this show, but it just shows the cynical disregard that companies have for their workers. But what happened to these women who worked at the factory? 
where radium paint was used was a tragedy. Sometimes, these bad things must happen so that humanity can learn from its mistakes and make better choices in the future. The story of America's Shining Women begins in 1898, when radium was discovered by Pierre and Marie Curie. The two Polish scientists discovered the element by extracting it via electrolysis, or using a direct electric current to separate the element from naturally occurring sources, such as ores or from the compound uranite, as Marie and Pierre did. Soon after, the inventor, William J. Hammer, left Paris with some samples of radium salt crystals from scientists Pierre and Marie Curie. Radioactivity was relatively new to science, so its properties and dangers weren't known, but Hammer believed that the blue-green glow and natural warmth of radium indicated that it was something amazing. He went on to combine his radium salt with glue and a compound called zinc sulfide. The alpha radiation causes the zinc sulfide to glow, yielding a self-luminescent or glow-in-the-dark piece. had just entered World War I, causing a rapid uprising in America's production industry. That same year, Radium Dial Company, the birthplace of many of the tragic cases of radium poisoning, set itself up on the East Coast in New York, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Eventually, the company moved to Ottawa, Illinois. Radium Dial Company and the U.S. Radium Corporation used William J. Hammer's radium paint concoction during the First World War to produce Undark, a high-tech paint which allowed America's infantrymen to read their wristwatches and instrument panels at night. To precisely paint the small dials, they would have the girls who worked at the radium dial company point the tip of their brush with their mouths every time after painting a number. Therefore, each time they would consume a little bit of radium paint. In the 1920s, radium was considered a wonder drug that would cure anything. It was distributed for intravenous use. It was also distributed for use in drinking water. It claimed to cure everything from arthritis to high blood pressure. Indeed, this wonder drug was finding its way into every single household item. It was in pills, creams, razors, makeup, and even food. The issue with all this consumption of radium, not only by the total population, but also by those women being employed by these various companies, was that, like calcium and strontium, radium tends to concentrate in bones, where its alpha radiation interferes with red corpuscle production, and some of those women developed anemia and bone cancer. To add to the tragedy, in 1925, a fraudulent report was discovered by Alice Hamilton that in the early 1920s, U.S. Radium hired the Harvard physiology professor, Cecil Drinker, to study the working conditions in the factory. Drinker's report was grave, indicating a heavily contaminated workforce and unusual blood conditions in virtually everyone who worked there. The report, which the company provided 
to the New Jersey Department of Labor, credited Cecil Drinker as the author. However, the ominous descriptions of unhealthy conditions were replaced with glowing praise, stating that every girl is in perfect condition. Even worse, U.S. Radium's president disregarded all of the advice in Drinker's original report, making none of the recommended changes to prevent the workers from getting sick. Alice Hamilton wrote a letter that prompted Drinker to make the information public by publishing his original report in a scientific journal. U.S. Radium executives were furious and threatened legal action, but Drinker published his findings nonetheless. To understand how this tragedy affected individuals, take the story of a woman named Grace Fryer, for example. Grace Fryer had been suffering from the symptoms of radium poisoning. Her jaw was falling apart, but she nor physicians could figure out what was going on with her. Finally, in 1925, after suffering for three years, a doctor suggested that perhaps her declining health was due to her time at the U.S. Radium Company. Grace Fryer became concerned when her teeth began to loosen and fall out for no discernible reason. Her troubles were compounded when her jaw became swollen and inflamed. Though she sought the assistance of a doctor in diagnosing the inexplicable symptom, using a primitive x-ray machine, the physician discovered serious bone decay, the likes of which he had never seen. Her jawbone was honeycombed with small holes in a random pattern reminiscent of a moth-eaten fabric. Though the story of Grace Fryer is a sad one, it does have a side of triumph to it. Grace Fryer sought out to receive compensation for the damages caused to her due to her time at U.S. Radium. A young attorney from Newark named Raymond Berry filed the suit in 1927 and four other radium-injured dial painters soon joined. They sought out $250,000 each in damages. While the trial was going on, the health of the woman greatly deteriorated, to the point where they couldn't even lift their arm to take the oath and eventually couldn't show up to go to trial because they were bedridden. Because the women were too sick to attend the following hearing, which occurred in April, the judge adjourned the case until September because several U.S. radium witnesses were summering in Europe and would consequently be unavailable. The national outrage over the delay prompted the courts to reschedule the hearing to early June, but days before the trial, Raymond Berry and U.S. radium agreed to allow the U.S. District Court Judge William Clark to mediate an out-of-court settlement. Barry and the Radium Girls accepted their opponent's offer reluctantly, despite learning that their mediator was a U.S. Radium Corporation stockholder. Their situation was too desperate to refuse. The women were not expected to live much longer. It was good to see the community fighting for the rights of these women, and that even though it wasn't all the justice that these women deserved, it's good to see that they at least got some sort of compensation for their suffering. Each woman received $10,000, equivalent to about $100,000 today, and half of all of their medical and legal expenses were paid. They also received a $600 per year annuity for as long as they lived. Unsurprisingly, few of the annuity payments were collected. 
Thanks to the Radium Girls and their success in bringing attention to the deplorable conditions in U.S. factories, industrial safety standards in the U.S. were significantly tightened over the following years, an improvement which definitely spared countless others from similar fates. The practice of employing radium in luminescent coatings was curated in the early 1960s after the high toxicity of the material was recognized. Phosphorescent paints that absorb light and later release it have been repla- have replaced radium. The radium girls had a profound impact on workplace regulations. By the time World War II came around, the federal government had set basic safety limits for handling radiation. Though what these women went through while they were working in the factories was a tragedy. These bad things were necessary for humanity to learn from its mistakes to make better choices in the future. They knew radium was toxic. They knew it. Science rushes in. See, this is the problem with science. I remember when I was teaching, everyone was really keen to have the kids grow up to be scientists. At the time, I thought scientists, the people who brought us the atom bomb, scientists bring knowledge for sure they do research they find things out but there's always a point where they want to get rich by it or somebody in in the harass in their group wants to get rich by it i'm recalling jonas sock in the early 1950s polio was the pandemic of its time There was this great fear in the U.S. over polio. Dr. Jonas Salk, the man who found a polio vaccine, gave the vaccine to public health agencies and hospitals. And somebody said to him, you could have made a lot of money with that. And he said it hadn't even occurred to him. Well, how we've changed, huh? You have Mr. Trump up there pumping vaccine or companies that he's invested in, telling people those those medicines work. The president being a shill for the drug companies. Well, let's see what we got here.
what's going on, Newsbroke YouTube page? It's me, Francesca, the host of Newsbroke on YouTube. Here's Francesca. Let's see her rap about social media. Everything is socialism to the right wing. Want to not die in a pandemic? Socialism. Want clean air? Socialism. Want the working class to seize the means of production and democratize the economy? Okay, that is socialism and it sounds pretty good. The accusation of socialism is part of the playbook the GOP is now running against Joe Biden and his climate plan. Except, we've been here before. I'm Francesca Fiorentini and we're looking at how the right has historically red-baited any social programs that threaten to help people. Programs that eventually become incredibly popular and ones Republicans have no alternative to. They whine while so-called socialism works. Joe Biden's climate plan is not the Green New Deal, but it is incredibly ambitious, which thank God, because here in California, the wildfires are making everything smell like barbecue, threatening both our lives and our commitment to vegetarianism. Mama want a brisket. After a joint task force with Bernie Sanders supporters like AOC and members of the Sunrise Movement, Biden's climate plan is now a $2 trillion commitment that includes eliminating carbon pollution from power plants by 2035, revolutionizing the railroad and municipal transit systems, building solar and wind farms, and by 2030 getting to net zero greenhouse gas emissions for new buildings. Now, I tried to find the part of his plan Trump was talking about where Biden would tear down buildings and rebuild them with tiny little windows. It's not there, Don. Biden won't give you prison windows. The state of New York will. And that climate plan has triggered the right's most predictable defense mechanism to any whiff of progress. He signed on to Bernie Sanders' crazy 110-page communist manifesto. The Biden-Sanders communist manifesto. No more oil, no more gas, no more coal. It's written writing right. the Bolshevik Bernie Biden manifesto. So remember, when Biden says, come on, man, we all know that the man stands for manifesto and the come on stands for communist. It's the communist manifesto. We're putting the pieces together, people. Look, despite also being born in the 19th century, Joe Biden is actually not Karl Marx. Though he collaborated with some supporters of a Green New Deal, Biden's plan leaves out the more transformative parts of it, such as a federal jobs guarantee. And yet, the attacks on Biden's climate plan are reminiscent of right-wing attacks on other bold social plans enacted by Democratic presidents. Plans that are so popular now, the right can't openly campaign against them. Like Social Security, aka old people allowance, that Americans pay into during their working years and have access to once they turn 62. Democratic President Franklin Delano Roosevelt passed Social Security in 1935 as part of the New Deal reforms. The New Deal not only established a robust social safety net, it also gave jobs to millions of unemployed Americans in building things like bridges, airports, and schools. And truth be told, the New Deal ended up saving the market's ass. In 1933, unemployment was around 22%. But by 1940, it was less than half that. Still, the promise of a new deal was fought tooth and nail by FDR's opponent in 1932, Republican President Herbert Hoover, who called the proposed programs, you guessed it, socialist, and warned of a march to Moscow. That red baiting didn't win Hoover re-election, and yet, Republican Alf Landon tried the same tactic when he ran against FDR four years later, as exemplified in this campaign ad where a Democratic donkey drinks a bottle of Russian vodka. 
Russia couldn't stand that stuff, but the jackass will try anything. Oh, well, we'll be the day and headache tomorrow. There goes the jackass running wild. The dynamite must have gone to his head and some to his feet. <laughs> I do not know what that donkey drank, but can we get some for Joe Biden? The problem is neither Hoover nor Landon had a better plan to help America out of the depression, even though they claimed to be committed to helping working people. Something FDR called smooth evasion as he mocked the right with the utmost shade. And let me warn the nation against the smooth evasion that says, of course we believe these things. We believe in social security. Cross our hearts and hope to die. But we do not like the way the present administration is doing them. Just turn them over to us. We will do all of them. The doing of them will not cost anybody anything. Okay, Franklin's got some zingers. Can we get some of that for Biden? Even though Landon called Social Security a fraud on the working man, it was incredibly popular and effective, like helping people live longer. By 2010, American men's life expectancy increased by 17 years. Social Security gave Americans their golden years. And then the right was apparently so bitter about it, it created an entire news network dedicated to filling those years with fear. 80 years later and more than 65 million Americans now benefit from Social Security. It's exceptionally important to retirees, 57% of whom say it's a major source of their income. Yet Republicans continue to try and cut it, despite the fact that 74% of Americans say Social Security benefits shouldn't be reduced. When Trump floated a budget last year that proposed cutting Social Security by $26 billion, his economic advisor called it political suicide. Which if you're this president, Sounds like a dare. Cause let's be real, the guy's been trying all kinds of political suicide since he assumed office and nothing seems to be working. He's just living a presidential groundhog day. No matter how creative the suicide, he simply won't die politically. Take another wildly popular FDR led policy, the GI Bill. The GI Bill guaranteed veterans unemployment benefits, low interest home and business loans, and federal aid for education. At the time, the GI Bill was opposed by some Republican lawmakers, in part because giving vets a college education was seen as sending them to institutions with crackpot long-haired professors and radicals. Yeah, you wouldn't want soldiers who just defeated Hitler and fascism to go to college and become Antifa. Republicans also opposed the GI Bill because they claimed it would help lazy veterans and spoil them, which, if you're just catching up on America, is racist code for black people. But decades after its implementation, the GI Bill has been consistently supported by politicians on both sides of the aisle, including Republican presidents. Earlier this year, I was pleased to sign a piece of legislation, a GI Bill for the 21st century. That's right. We're finally sending drones to college. It's just jiving. But fun fact, before signing that GI Bill, W threatened to veto extra unemployment benefits. Of course, he made sure that our troops would never qualify for unemployment benefits by just inventing wars for them to fight in. I am a job creator. Which brings us to healthcare, a battle Republicans have fought and died in for generations. Politically. 
Like Medicare, healthcare for the elderly, and Medicaid, healthcare for the poor and disabled. Both were started under Democratic President Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society, which built on FDR's New Deal aimed at tackling racial and economic injustice. And that meant they were attacked by the right. Presidential candidate Bob Dole bragged that he voted against Medicare. George H.W. Bush called it socialized medicine. Even an actor in California who wasn't yet in politics gave a radio address claiming government-subsidized health care would take away a doctor's freedom. From here, it's a short step to all the rest of socialism. I know how I'd feel if you, my fellow citizens, decided that to be an actor, I had to become a government employee and work in a national theater. Honestly? Hindsight 2020? The American people would have done a lot better if the government had subsidized the man-chimp bromance genre well into the 80s. So Reagan would have remained an employable actor and therefore would have never run for office, reformed welfare, began mass incarceration, or given us crippling economic austerity. I mean, let's be real. Fast forward to today. Despite their expense, Medicare and Medicaid are incredibly popular, with a majority of Americans supporting both. And while Republicans have tried over the years to kneecap the programs through budget cuts and a variety of other methods, it's become too toxic to openly campaign on cutting either. Which is why, even though he wants a budget that cuts over a trillion dollars from Medicare and Medicaid, Trump also makes contradictory promises like this. We will protect Medicare and Social Security and that is a pledge from the entire Republican Party. I really wish they had panned over to whoever Trump was pointing at, because I'm pretty sure it was Mitch McConnell going, <laughs> Then came the creme de la Kremlin, the belle of the Bolsheviks, the cream of the Trotsky, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, another program that Republicans regularly called socialized medicine, when in fact it gives a big boost to private insurance companies. And it's a plan that despite wanting to overturn, they still have no alternative for. Just listen to then-Indiana Representative Mike Pence in 2009, decrying the ACA based on how expensive Medicare is. Medicare, when it was launched in 1965, was projected, I think, to cost $9 billion a year by 1990. It ended up costing seven times that. We're increasing the burden on our grandchildren enormously if we create a government-run plan. No debate on that, although I don't know that you want to go back to Indiana and campaign against Medicare. Oh, no, I, no, I support Medicare. Oh, no, I support Medicare because, well, I have to. Wow, Pence used to be pretty animated. I guess playing wingman to a racist autocrat has made him completely dead inside. Why else would a fly land on him for two minutes? The ACA may be flawed, but it's still supported by 55% of Americans, even in red states. When Republican lawmakers supported Trump and his threats to repeal it in 2017, constituents there let their representatives know how they felt. These coal jobs are not coming back, and now these people don't have the insurance they need because they're poor. not what Republicans do. Republicans aren't here to improve these programs. They're here to prove that the government is bad by being bad at governing, and then turning around and saying, see, we were right the whole time. How about another tax break for your employer? All while claiming, of course we believe these things. Just turn them over to us. 
Man, what I wouldn't give for a Democratic leader in 2020 who's that salty. And that brings us to Okay, it's time. Looks like we got to cut uh, Francesca short right in the middle of her rant about quote-unquote socialist programs and why the GOP is always against them. Um, this is the B wishing you a happy day. Good week and good work. If you haven't voted yet, get out and vote. And uh, we'll see you here next week, if we're lucky. Reminding you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and love where the laborer meets the labor. be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Tebow of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements.
No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> My name is Jackie Fielder. I'm an indigenous, Latina, and queer educator. I've stood up to fossil fuel companies, Wall Street lobbyists, and racist police unions, and won. Now I'm running for state senate and standing up to the most real estate-backed politician in California. Changing times call for new leaders with bolder visions of our future. That means real rent and mortgage cancellation, an indigenous wildfire task force, expanded public school funding, a Green New Deal for California, single-payer health care, defunding the police, and reinvesting in communities, saving public transportation, and taxing the wealthy. And you know I can deliver because I am the only candidate to reject both direct contributions and indirect support from real estate interests, charter school advocates, law enforcement unions, rideshare and car companies, billionaires, and fossil fuel interests. 2020 is the year that we take back our district, our state, and our country for working people. Please vote Jackie Fielder for State Senate by November 3rd. I'm Italian, and we brought you Fascismus with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it. And don't let poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on mutinyradio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're 
chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Radio.fm Mutiny Radio.fm Listen to my